a Podcast One production. You're listening to Global Truths with Dr Keith Souter. Today we are talking about this rather extraordinary story that has been evolving in Malaysia in the last couple of weeks. Uh, if you've seen any headlines, pretty much the, the main one that stood out was the fact that a 92-year-old won the election to become the Prime Minister, but there is a huge story behind this. But, Keith, there are a couple of names that will keep reoccurring throughout this story and this edition of Global Truths, and those names are... So Mahathir Mohamed. So Mahathir was the Prime Minister and was in power for 22 years years and is seen as one of the major architects of Malaysia doing extremely well as a developing country. So he stood down in 2003. He then never really left the political scene. He he stayed around being a critic of some of his successors. Now, one of the controversies regarding Mahathir Mohamed is that while he was in office for the first time, he was originally grooming for power Anwar Ibrahim. Now, they then had a falling out and he then put Anwar Ibrahim in jail on trumped-up charges. So remember these names. So the first one is Mahathir Mohamed, who is the 92-year-old who just won the prime ministership, and Anwar Ibrahim, who is uh, was earmarked for being prime minister and then was jailed on trumped-up charges, and he is now earmarked to be leader again. And then the third name that's extremely important in this story is Najib Razak, who up until recently was the Prime, the Prime Minister. Minister. And so he is the son of a Prime Minister. Um, the second Prime Minister was Tan Abdul Razak. So that was his father. So Najib Razak, part of the ruling elite of Malaysia, his the major complaint about him was the level of corruption, particularly revolving around what was called the one Malaysian Development Bank, 1MDB, now subject to investigations in the United States and Switzerland because there's been a lot of money moving around very suspiciously. And uh, Najib Razak, having lost the election, surprisingly, has been prevented from leaving the country and so may well have criminal charges brought against him for corruption. So there's always a lot of corruption in Malaysia, but this particular Prime Minister is accused of taking it up to an extreme level. Hence why the 92-year-old Mahathir Mohamed came out of nowhere to go and put himself up for this election. So let's go back to the beginning then, when Mahathir Mohamed was the Prime Minister for 22 years. When was that? So he was Prime Minister between 1981 and 2003. So Malaysia, um, if you think back to when it became independent from Great Britain 60 years ago, at the end of the name, you have actually a reference to Singapore, Malaysia. So... They then split in 1965 and the leader of Singapore at that time, Lee Kuan Yew, decided that Singapore should go its own way, uh, should be a rapidly developing country, um, very tightly controlled, so it's not a democracy. And what is interesting is that when I was first in Singapore, which was 1973, the Royal Navy had just pulled out. So the British had just pulled their navy out of uh, Singapore. The general feeling is the country was going to go broke. This person reinvented Singapore by saying we are going to go into shipbuilding because, after all, the the Royal Navy had left the docks behind. So went into shipbuilding, then later on went into insurance and banking and now actually has a higher standard of living in Singapore than you see in Great Britain. So it's actually richer than its former colonial power. One of the reasons for the split was the argument that Malaysia was giving too much priority 
to the Muslims. So over around 60% of the country would be uh, Malay Muslims. Um, and they often call Buman Pura, in other words, sons of the soil. And so Malaya, the Malaya part of Malaysia, if you like, had decided we will give priority to the Muslims. The next major ethnic group down are the Chinese. So much smaller group, but incredibly energetic, and they run a lot of the economy. Now, Lee Kuan Yew simply said, look, because that's principally a Chinese uh, country, Singapore will go its own way because by not having so many Muslims around, we can do a lot better on our own. And that's what Singapore has proved to be the case. So in the case of Malaysia, we have a country which is still very heavily dominated by Muslims, um, some of the more moderate ones, but also you've got some very fundamentalist ones. So it's a struggle very much within Malaysia, particularly with between the Malay the Muslims and the Chinese, some of whom are Christian, some of whom are animists, etc. A lot of those Chinese have decided that they really are blocked from trying to be educated in their own country. That's why here in Australia, we have so many Malay Chinese studying in Australian universities. They can't get into universities in Malaysia. So the argument was that in Malaysia, look, our uh, Malay brothers and sisters, okay, they're a bit behind the Chinese. We will now give preferential treatment to them in all respects. So that reform began some decades ago. And having given this special privilege to the Buman Pura, the sons of the soil, the Muslims, it's actually now very difficult to take those special privileges away. So um, that's a, a long-running strand in all of this. So it's essentially in the political process, we're dealing with different strands of Islamic thinking. And as I say, the Chinese component of it is still very good in the business area, but they feel held back by the Malay. So all of the politicians we're talking about, they are all Muslim um, of various shades of political viewpoint. So Mahathir Mohamed went out on this um, program, what's called the 2020 Vision, to bring the country into being much more modern um, and has, has achieved quite a success. Not as good as Singapore, but has certainly made a success of Malaysia. So Malaysia is well known for its tourism and a lot of other industries that uh, means that people enjoy going to Malaysia. So that's, that's the good news story. He then retired in 2003. He's then replaced by a couple of other prime ministers. The person, that, as I say, who, whom he was grooming to take over was Anwar Ibrahim. There was a falling out. It's still unclear as to what exactly triggered that falling out. He then had Ibrahim put in jail on trumped-up charges. This is Matahari Muhammad, the 92-year-old. Uh, yeah. So the he had Anwar yeah. put into jail. Put into jail. He had the retired, wrecked Ibrahim's career, and then you had other people become prime minister. Well, a person who did become prime minister was this Najib Razak. And as I say, he's the one who's involved with a lot of allegations over corruption. So what has happened, therefore, is that Mahathir Mohamed has come out of retirement, he never really fully retired, has come out of retirement at the age of 92 and decided to work with a coalition of parties to run against his old party, UMNO, the United Malay National Organisation. So the party that that he was involved in with, with decades, he's just taken on and beaten. So those of us who have been observing the Malaysian scene for many years were just stunned that you have this old man 
coming out of retirement, age 92, to take on the political party that he had helped keep in office for over 60 years and beat them. Now, looking at it from uh, Najib's point of view, he was the, the, the Prime Minister being challenged. You know, he, as I say, was already very corrupt. He's um, all sorts of deals were being done. There were special, if you vote to Malaya, you've got to, Malaysia, you've got to go back to your own village. So he arranged for one of the local airlines to fly people for free back into the country to vote. So the, the and he gerrymandered the election boundaries. So a lot of us really saying, look, Mahathir is trying to achieve the impossible. It cannot be achieved. You've just got so much going against you. The gerrymandering, the corruption um, that Najib was, was organising, and yet the Malaysian people have stunned us with this incredible election result. And so Anwar Ibrahim's own party, headed now by his wife, Juan Aziza, so Juan Aziza is the wife, um, and she is now going to be the Deputy Prime Minister when you have Marty. <laughs> you couldn't write a novel about this. All right, we're going to address that one in a moment. <laughs> this is Global Truths with Dr Keith Souter. You're listening to Global Truths with Dr Keith Souter. We're just telling the story of how a 92-year-old got elected in a huge victory in the yep. latest Malaysian election. Uh, you probably saw the headlines. It's been a big story around the world, particularly because he was the Prime Minister. And this is Matahari, uh, Mahata, oh God. Mahathir Mohamed. <laughs> I told you I was going to have problems with these names. Um, he was the Prime Minister for 22 years up until 2003 and retired and then has come out of nowhere, uh, beaten his own party. So this is the party he's just run against his own party um, because he was so disgusted with the level of corruption of the up until recently Prime Minister whose name is Najib Razak. Yep. Um, but now the 92-year-old uh, Mahathir is not going to be the Prime Minister though, so he wants his friend Anwar... <laughs> <laughs> who's just coming out of jail That's to right. be the Prime Minister. So he's arranged for Amwai Ibrahim to be pardoned. Uh, the king has done that. And he will then get back into the political system and he will then become the Prime Minister. And Mahathir has promised to stand down to enable Anwar Ibrahim to become the Prime Minister of this coalition government. There are a variety of parties that are involved, um, but they all came together to beat Mahathir's old party, which is UMNO, the United Malay National Organisation. So you couldn't write a novel about this. It, it is just so incredible. So let's talk about Anwar for a moment, because first of all, Mahathir Mohammed, the 92-year-old, jailed Anwar yep. years ago which is corrupt in itself because he trumped up the charges against him. Yep. So how can he have such a problem with corruption? <laughs> well, corruption is endemic in Malaysia, but it got uh, up to a new art form, allegedly, under Najib Razak. And so I think there are a lot of Malay Malaysians who decided, look, we've just got to try to clean up our act here, which is why they voted against Najib Razak, who, as I say, is under investigation by the Department of Justice in the United States for financial irregularities. Um, so there is a, a lot of anger, um, which Mahathir Mohamed, who's one of the best politicians going on the world scene at the moment, was able to exploit and pull off this remarkable election victory. Having done that, of course, he has now got a number of problems. One is that you've still got this basic problem, which is partly of his own making when he was previously Prime Minister, of giving special privilege to the Malay over the Chinese. 
They got special privileges to enable them to improve their standard of living, but this was only seen as a temporary arrangement. But decades later, their special privileges are still around. So he's got that problem to sort out. They've got a lot of um, people who are actually employed in the public service because they are Buman Pura, sons of the soil, the Malaysian Muslims. They're employed in the public service, no real jobs, but they're, they're employed. So you've got to, you need a Margaret Thatcher to go through that country just to clean out a lot of that inefficiency. So you've got a lot of economic reforms that are going to be necessary. Um, also, it's found out, uh, according to Mahathir in the last couple of days, that the level of the country's debt is greater than was being revealed by Najib Razak. So there are quite a few fundamental economic problems. Najib Razak's wife has made headlines as well. Uh, tell us a bit about her because she... Uh, it's called a $6 billion woman or That's something? That's right, and she's got a lot of handbags, a lot of clothes, a lot of expensive possessions. Um, and the allegation is that they were receiving gifts from other countries, etc. So there's a whole degree of corruption to be investigated there. So you've got those sort of immediate issues to be dealt with. What I find interesting about um, the debate in Malaysia now is that in political science terms... What we have seen in the world has been an increase in the number of democracies. And so as countries get richer, so they they almost move up this Maslow hierarchy of needs. So Maslow uh, was an American psychologist who came out with this triangle of needs. So the basic needs are food, shelter, clothing, etc. Once you've got those sorted out, you then move on to the top of it, which is self-actualization. What we see in Asia is that as Asian countries become richer and as the ordinary Asian does not need to worry about where their next meal is going to come from, so they therefore push for democratic reform. So they want to have a say in how the country is governed. So if you look at Taiwan, South Korea, Indonesia, these used to be fascist dictatorships. But in the last few years, they have, or uh, last, uh, what, 20-odd years in some of them, they have become democracies. And so uh, what I find interesting is that up until a couple of weeks ago, Malaysia was certainly a pretty heavily controlled country, and Singapore is definitely still heavily controlled. And yet we're now seeing this rise of democracy within Malaysia, which, as I say, is responsible for one of the biggest political upsets of this year, this 92-year-old who managed to take on a corrupt prime minister um, and and beat him. So it's going to be interesting to see how this flows over into Singapore, where the People's Action Party has also been in power for 60-odd years. Um, Will we see a similar sort of revolution beginning to occur there? Um, And as the nearby other countries also become richer, so you've got Vietnam, etc., will you also see revolutions occurring within those countries? So I think one of the reasons why the, there's been so much interest in Mahathir Mohamed's remarkable achievement is not just because what he's been able to pull off in Malaysia itself, but the speculation that will now arise in some of the surrounding countries 
about whether we will see political reform taking place in those countries as well. But Malaysia's always been... It's been a democracy, though, hasn't it? Well, it's always pretended to be a democracy on some level. Like, it's not a blatant dictatorship like in Vietnam or somewhere like that. No, no, no. It's not a blatant dictatorship. It's actually called a federal constitutional monarchy. So it's modelled on British lines... Um, with a king who gets elected every five years. So you have um, nine hereditary rulers over the states. They take it in turns to become king for five years. Very sophisticated system, which has certainly managed to work. But um, what we saw with Najat Razak, for example, was that um, he made fake news a criminal offence as a way of trying to hose down. The sort of discussion we are having today would have been ruled illegal if we were sitting in a studio in Malaysia um, because it would be seen as engendering fake news. We'd be saying we were telling the truth. But, of course, you know, again, that. so when you say it's a democracy and it's a free society within certain limits, and, of course, another big problem for Malaysia is what's going to happen if, with the rise of Islamic fundamentalism around the world. And so that's another factor you need to bear in mind. Remember, this is a country that's 60% Islamic. You've got uh, Islamic terrorists operating in the southern part of the country. They have certainly controlled quite well by the, the national government. But as you see this trend around the world for more fundamentalist movements, will we see that also in Malaysia? And this is the clash of cultures. You've got under, particularly under Mahathir Mohamed in his first time in office, modernising the country, marvellous buildings going on, particularly in the big cities, not so much in the rural countryside. Um, so that's one strand. But the other strand is this conservative Islamic tradition saying, do we really need to be educating women, for example? Should girls really be going to school? Uh, so you, it's going to be very interesting for whoever's going to be leader in the coming years to be able to balance out these two trends. But surely you don't see, I mean, I, I, I struggle to think of any situation that's been covered, certainly by media, where in Malaysia you had a, an Islamic terrorist attack, whereas you see them obviously in the last few weeks in Indonesia yep. and that's going to be a continuing threat there. But in the Philippines you see huge militant movements making threats not so much in Malaysia, or is it just because it's not covered? It's not covered very much. Mm. Um, the terrorist groups that are operating, from the Islamic point of view, do not recognise the national boundaries which were drawn up by Europeans, right? So there'd be a group um, that would argue that we should have the southern part of Malaysia, the western part of Indonesia, and the southern part of the Philippines all joined together in a new caliphate. So they don't recognise those boundaries. Remember, it's the British who invented Malaysia. Um, it was the Dutch who invented that western end of Indonesia. And it was the Spanish who invented the Philippines in terms of national boundaries. So you, you've got uh, people with an Islamic mindset, a more fundamentalist one, who are saying we, we need to redraw the boundaries. In much the same way the Islamic State, when it had its two years of influence in Iraq and Syria, just simply said we will not recognise the boundary that exists between Iraq and Syria. And so they said that was created by the Europeans after World War I. We are ignoring that and we're creating an Islamic State that straddles both bits of Syria and bits of Iraq. And this is the same sort of issue that you're going to be getting with Islamic groups. And we're caught up in what is called the Long War. General Leahy has said it could run on for 100 years. If you look at Europe's own Long War, it began in 1517 and ran through until 1648. 
So that's 130 years. So calling it a 100-year war may not be so much of an exaggeration. And the Islamic world has so many issues that it's got to address, it's got to become more modern, or perhaps it never will, in which case we're going to have profound problems for much more than 100 years. So this is the the bigger picture with Malaysia. So one, you've got Mahathir Mohamed, this 92-year-old, pulling off the biggest election upset that I think we're going to see for this year. An incredible achievement, which commentators like myself never thought he'd be able to pull off. Secondly, there are the wider issues of the implications for creating such a flourishing democracy, reflecting the fact that as a society gets richer, so people need to have more of a say or want to have more of a say in how the country is being governed. And then thirdly, the whole issue about how a country which is predominantly Islamic copes with the challenge of the long war and dealing with traditional Islamic mindsets in a modern era. So Malaysia, particularly under Mahathir Mohamed in his first time as Prime Minister, did his best to try to modernise the country. But you've also got pockets of resistance uh, in parts of Malaysia who do not approve of this. They want to reintroduce Sharia law, for example, which in fact they have, although the central government has blocked a particular province uh, from going back to amputation of hands. So this is the third dimension to this. How well is this new reinvigorated Malaysia going to be able to cope with some of these bigger issues of trying to modernise Islam? and reconcile it with the modern era. Such important questions and no doubt for another week. Indeed. Kate, you'll Thanks, shine Ray. some light. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Kate. This has been Global Truths with Dr Keith Suter. It's recorded in the studios of Podcast One. Production assistance by Liv Proud. Producer is me, Kate Mack. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. And for more episodes, head to podcastone.com.au or download the Podcast One app.